0: Well, if you noticed a certain pastoral nature to our readings, um, you would not be wrong. The fourth Sunday of Easter is often called Good Shepherd Sunday. Each year we get some portion of this chapter um, from John where Jesus is talking about sheep and gates and shepherds. And it is always paired with Psalm 23, which is that very familiar psalm most of us know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. It's then paired with some chapter or some, some passage out of Acts, because we get Acts all through the great 50 days of Easter. I must admit that after nearly nine years of ordained life, I have probably said all that I have to say about sheep and shepherds, um, and that my knowledge was not terribly deep to begin with. The most time I have spent around sheep has been when I was in Iceland, um, because once you leave the capital in Iceland, the sheep pretty much run the island at will, um, and so on the single highway that runs its way around the whole country um, there will be sheep right up on the road and in the road and so you you have to kind of keep a watch out for them and that's sort of all that i know about sheep um and for many years i come to good shepherd sunday trying to figure out something new to say about sheep and this year i other than my opening comments i'm going to say i think nothing else about sheep um, as I was reading these passages, it wasn't the sheep image or the shepherd or the gate that really jumped out to me, but it was a bit that particular line at the end, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I think I have talked some that I spent about two years um, working with a church in Fairfield called Christ Church in Fairfield. It's sort of a unusual Episcopal Church, particularly for Alabama. It's a predominantly African-American congregation. It is probably more charismatic than a lot of our other churches. It's not unheard of that people will wave their hands in the air and there is sort of a, a call and response during the sermon. I learned a lot from being in Fairfield um, for my time there. Fairfield itself is a city that's really financially struggling, and a lot of the people that came to Christ Church, unlike other Episcopal churches that I've been at, most of the people that came there were also financially struggling. It is a scrappy little church, and it is determined to be a place where Jesus is present in the neighborhood and where the Holy Spirit is relied upon every day. So this gospel reading, when I get to John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly reminds me of Christ church because during my time there, one of the parishioners who was also the senior warden when I started would always tell me like every two or three months, somehow this worked into conversation. He would tell me that his favorite passage was this one, John 10, 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, I have a feeling that Miles and I probably had a different understanding of that passage, but it was sort of, it was his mantra and what he came back to on a regular basis. In the two years that I was at Christchurch, I think I got to have a little bit of a glimpse of what that passage might mean. When Miles would bring it up to me, it sort of would remind me that this text is cringeworthy to me, right? I hear it, and what I think of is prosperity gospel televangelists using it to tell folks to mail in money to plant their seeds so that God will bless them with abundance or turned around to use to justify why a preacher needs to have um, a giant house and fancy cars and a private jet. I knew that that's not what I thought Jesus meant, and I don't think that's what Miles meant when he would tell me this passage, but that's always sort of the sense that I would get it when I would hear that it would be brought out, that somehow it's pointing to something that just didn't seem to quite fit with what I understood Jesus to be about. I wanted to certainly stay away from any association with prosperity gospels and with material wealth and abundance. And so I always tended towards understanding this text in spiritual terms. But that doesn't seem quite right either. I don't think Jesus is promising us a private jet, but I also don't think that he's talking about some sort of private spiritual salvation here. During Lent, some of us got together, first in person and then via Zoom, to take a look at a book called Money and Possessions by Walter Brueggemann. It's a biblical commentary that examines what the Bible has to say about our money and possessions. Not a very original title, I know. But um, Brueggemann, but when he comes to this passage, John 10.10, he points the reader to go look at two other passages in John to understand what Jesus means by this, to have life and have it abundantly. First, he points the reader to the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6 and points out that when Jesus performs this miracle, that there is so much food left over that it fills up 12 more baskets, right? They could have fed even more folks once it was all done. And then he points the reader to chapter four with the woman at the well, where Jesus says that he offers water that if you drink it, you would never be thirsty again. Now, Bergman admits that John is sort of a lofty, heady kind of gospel, but that these two scenes, while they may offer some sacramental understanding of bread and water, you can't get away from the fact that Jesus is talking about real stuff. Water is still water, and bread and food is still bread and food. And so Brueggemann says that in this talk of abundance, when we look at it from these other two scenes, what we cannot avoid is the fact that there is a material economic dimension to this, that Jesus's promise of abundance is the promise of a new economy that stands in stark contrast to the economy of the Roman Empire. This is backed up when we look at the reading that we get in Acts. We see how Jesus' promised economy of abundance began to take shape in the early church as the folks that had heard Peter's preaching on that first Pentecost came to believe in Jesus as the Savior and became the first part, the first early church. Acts tells us that they continued in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. If you took part in our Easter vigil worship, these words may sound familiar to you because they're also what we promise and repeat or say, I will with God's help when we renew our baptismal covenant. So the early church, after that first sort of exciting day of Pentecost, gathered together and took on Jesus's new economy of abundance and took it seriously. They broke bread together, regardless of social standing or status. And they sold their possessions and distributed the money to all as any had need. And Acts tells us that when they, while doing this, that the church continued to grow. This week in reading these passages, I didn't struggle or or particularly hear the comforting words of Jesus as the good shepherd. Instead, I heard Jesus's challenging words of that he came so that they, they may have life and have it abundantly. To me, I think that they is important. It's not you. It's not singular. It's the collective. They may have life. Abundance if we continue with sort of the sheep and shepherd model, would mean at a minimum, safety, protection from thieves and bandits, food, shelter, care when you are sick. That's what abundance begins to look like. All this strikes me as we sit here in a time where our state and country is facing life and death decisions. While COVID-19 has closed down our communities, we've relied on the labor of people that we have now deemed essential, but that are often not paid a living wage or provided health care benefits. In Alabama, the number of cases and deaths from COVID-19 are disproportionately higher in the African American community. Our state health officer explains this, this fact by saying that COVID affects those with pre-existing conditions greater than those without. This simple statement does not go on to then explain that in Alabama, for a variety of historical and political reasons, the African American population has a higher incidence of pre-existing conditions and a lower incidence of health insurance or medical coverage. The states reopen, unemployment benefits stop, and employees and business owners face making decisions that mean putting people at risk because the economic system of our current empire leaves no other financial option. It's really hard to hear or see how Jesus' call that he came so that they may have life and have it abundantly has any sort of traction or involvement in the current situation that we are in. At times, it seems impossible to have life and to have it abundantly. But in our collect for today, we pray that we may hear Jesus's voice and follow where he leads. And so I wonder, can we actually follow Jesus into an economic life where all people can have life and have it abundantly? As we are going stir-crazy, or when we leave the house, we wear uncomfortable masks, can we still hear Jesus' voice? Can we hear Jesus' call in this noise of a world that is ready to just get back to business no matter what the cost? My time in Fairfield, I was pretty lucky. I got to glimpse a church that maybe looked a bit like that church did on that church described in the book of Acts, not just because they waved hands in the air and prayed extemporaneously and would be filled with the Holy Spirit during the sermon, but because each Sunday, a whole bunch of different folks would get together, black, white, young, old, sick, healthy, well-off, poor, They would gather to hear the word of God, to sing, to pray, and to gather around the altar to break bread together. Some months, we weren't sure how the light bills might get paid. But at least once a month, we would come together as a community and cook up a feast, not just for ourselves, but we would open the doors and invite the whole neighborhood in to be fed. All of this was done while relying on Jesus' promise that he came so that we and our friends and our neighbors, strangers, those we love, those we like, those we maybe don't like, that all of us might have an abundant life. There's a show. That I've referenced a couple of times called The Good Place, and I won't spoil the sort of trick of it, but there's an episode where the characters realized that every decision they made had all of these ethical consequences that they could not foresee. So that suddenly buying a tomato at the store wasn't just a matter of, was it the cheapest tomato or the best looking tomato? It was, was it grown in a place that was organically sourced that paid at some you know its farm laborers an adequate wage was it part of some sort of war economy did it come from mexico where the drug cartels are somehow involved and so these people would get trapped in this sort of cycle of these unintended consequences the end result was that the system in the show meant that nobody ever got to get into the good place that all of the good actions that you did, those points would be outweighed by the unintended consequences of your decisions. I think that if Jesus's call for us to have life and to have it abundantly worked that way, it would certainly be impossible. But I think we can begin with Jesus's starting premise of that Jesus came so that we may have life and have it abundantly engage each small step by that, not by our individual point gains and whether or not we get to get into heaven or not, but is what I'm doing right now, not just making my life better, but is it creating the opportunity for an abundant life for somebody else? At least the small things whether you don't wanna wear a face mask in public or you really wanna get back down to the beach, if you stop and think, does this decision not just benefit me, but is it somehow making the opportunity for other people to be well and to be safe and to live life with safety? Um, I think that is the voice of Jesus that we hear calling to us in this present moment. How do the decisions we make re-emerging into this new world shaped by a virus that shows us that we are all interconnected, whether we like it or not. How can we make those choices so that all of us can have life and to have it abundantly? Amen.